everybody. Hi. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Leave the House. We're on episode 15. I know. It's almost been four months since we started this. Whoa. You just put that into perspective. It's weird. That's really weird. It has not been... It does not feel like it's been that long. That's weird. I know. Huh. Well, yay. Look at us, guys. I know. It's really weird. This is a, look at us just trucking along. <laughs> thanks oh. for listening still. Yes. <laughs> thanks for sticking with us if you're still here. We appreciate you. Oh, it's been a stressful week. It really has. I'm burned out. I'm very burned out. We procrastinated way too much also this week. I didn't really get a choice, though. Like, it Oh, wasn't... no. Yeah, no. It wasn't a intentional procrastination. It was literally just life caught up had and so much shit to do that we never had a second to breathe. No. At all. It was a very busy week. It was. But, hey, we got our stories done. I don't know how mine ends. And I we're just, still here. I, yeah. You know, we're here, guys. We're here for you. We're struggling <laughs> a little bit, but we're here. It's fine. Everything is great. Um, So, yeah, I, I have a little bit of a different kind of um, setup, I guess, for my story this week. Um, it's literally more of just a story that I'm telling. Um. So, I mean, it's a lot of dialect, stuff like that. Um, Dialogue? And, yeah, that's what I meant. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, also, like I just said, I didn't have enough time to get through it all. So, who knows? I might be surprised by the ending of this story, too. <laughs> so, be a fun one. we'll find out, guys. So, this is the Grey Lady of Westwick. Um, so John Watkins was at a gentleman's pub, uh, sitting by the fire, listening to the other men talk. The sound of the gentle laughter and the clicks of ice against the whiskey tumblers lulled him into a calm. Um, he looked into his own glass and his vision was slightly blurred because he was getting drunk. Um, he promised his wife, Sarah, he wouldn't get drunk tonight again. Um, so he was kind of disappointed in himself. Uh, she hated when he would go out, um, late nights. Um, to like his little countryside getaway. It was like a country club type thing. Um, he always came in smelling like booze and would like climb into bed with her and like try to tug at her while she was asleep. And at times she would wake up and other times she just stayed asleep unconsciously denying his advances on her. Um, so then he got to thinking, okay, well, did she think he was having an affair did she suspect something of, you know, like all of his late night drinking and all of this other stuff? And uh, he just got to thinking to himself that he wished that he could bring her to the country club to prove that he wasn't cheating. Um, and he was saying that he wouldn't be surprised if she followed him at times, uh, getting into her Ford Fiesta and tailing him across the Coiling County Road. So this is an extremely unhealthy marriage, first of all. Very. Oh, and it only gets. It's, it's rough, from what I've read. Um, <laughs> so through the thick wood, um, up to the, she would tail him across, or yeah, across the coiling county roads through the thick wood up to the clubhouse. It wouldn't shock him at all to see her peeping into the dark window. She'd done this before, after all. She followed him to his office after hours to find him screwing around, quite literally. She had a right to be suspicious. He had cheated on her multiple times before. These days, however, he just hired women because no women were no women worth having looked twice at him now with his folding skin and his beer gut. 
That's why he just paid, so he knew that he was getting exactly what he wanted. Oh, my lord. Yeah, he's a he's a winner. Um, but still, he never cheated when he came to this country club. Because no women were allowed. That was the only rule. <laughs> <laughs> what so. a sleazeball. <laughs> oh. You must be joking, man. We can't really be having this conversation. Reagan Hinchcliffe's voice was uh, trailing above all of the others like usual. He was a younger he was younger than most of the other men in the club, only in his mid thirties. He was tall, uh, with striking angular features. He was always exquisitely dressed, and his voice had a way of carrying through the buildings. He was a lone shark, but a semi-respectable one in an office. Whatever that means. These are some douchey dudes. Oh, yeah. Is what you're saying. Very much so. Um, John didn't like him very much. Um, he was splayed out on a sofa, facing away from the fireplace, and John could only see a large blonde head and arms gesticulating wildly. Um, gesticulating. Yeah, like... No, 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 I'm just... It's a fun word. Carry on. Also, I thought it was funny, just a side <laughs> note, because we started to watch, like, a YouTube video that tells this story, and I was reading along with him, like, as I was writing my notes, because I had my notes on my phone, plus I was listening to, like, the YouTube thing, and I noticed that he literally just stopped with blonde head, at, blonde head and arms... And then, like, pause for a hot minute. And then just, like, completely went to the next paragraph. Like, he just didn't even want to try to say that word. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, touche. <laughs> um, I am most certainly not joking. Alan Mitchell uttered this reply. He was a quiet man with beady eyes and glasses, not usually the center of controversy, who owned a successful agriculture business in the Northeast. Well, then, I think you're a fool. Hinchcliffe swigged his drink, signaling the end of that conversation. So, you're talking about the blonde Hinchcliffe dude is talking to... This Alan Mitchell beady-eyed guy. Okay, and John, and John is, is being an eavesdropper. Yes. Okay, okay. Well, then, I think you're a fool. Hinchcliffe swigged his drink, signaling the end of the conversation. Mitchell blinked his beady eyes, clearly debating the merits of defending himself. Watkins! Hinchcliffe suddenly turned 360 to face John. His face was rosy with the warmth of whiskey. Come and have a seat. You look like you're enjoying yourself far too much over there. John really had no desire to go and join them, but did anyway, knowing that if he didn't, Regan would or Reagan would probably just come and stand next to him instead. So next to him in an armchair was Noah Simmons, who is a very elderly man who had been a member of this club before most of the other ones were born. His eyes were shut, just like his engagement in the conversation. Um, there was also Maximilian Nichols, an academic from Oxford, who came out to the country on weekends to get extremely drunk and illuminate his companions on topics to which they knew nothing about and he knew everything. So, again, literally the douchiest of... We're just in a room full of douchebags. Yes. Opposite them um, was Alan in a love seat. Um, John noticed a lot of the other men had moved away from this little crowd and formed pockets in darker corners of the room. Clearly just trying to get out of that conversation. Um, he signed and longingly listened from the other room the sound of pool tables and roars of laughter. I'm surprised that you, of all people, would be so quick to dismiss, to dismiss such a phenomenon, Hinchcliffe, Alan said in a low voice. Reagan turned to face the armchair 
They came back to the topic he had wordlessly put to rest, and it could clearly irked him. Me, of all people, why, he asked, considering the legend and considering your past history, said Alan. My past history? A shadow passed over Regan's, Regan's face, and John's curiosity was very quickly piqued. May I ask, gentlemen, what are you talking about? All heads flashed to him. Mitchell and Hinchcliffe were glaring at each other, so Max took it upon himself to fill John in. They're talking about the Grey Lady of Westwick. Who? The Grey Lady of Westwick. It's a local legend. Well, who's that? Max puffed up himself, puffed himself out like a blowfish, as he always did when he was about to enlighten a room with stimulating information. Local legend around here states that if you drive down the forest road after midnight, then you might see this Grey Lady of Westrick. She is, according to folklore, a witch who seeks vengeance on men. In the version I've heard, she's a vampire. Alan chimed in until he was silenced with a quick look from Max. She only seeks such vengeance on men who have wronged women. Wronged women, asked John. Yes, you know, wife beaters, serial killers, adulterers, that sort of thing. So, John... All of them. <laughs> you can't seriously lump in adulterers with serial killers protested reagan i wasn't said max she does she is said to have no preference what a load of complete and utter bullshit said reagan reagan i keep wanting to say reagan and i'm surprised at you two for believing in it i don't believe in it max disputed i'm just interested in local for in local folklore it's been a story since the 1600s when a man who killed three women in the area was allegedly set upon by the Grey Lady as he walked down the forest road. He lived to tell the tale, and in doing so was scared so thoroughly that he confessed to his crimes, but very few afterwards have survived an encounter. So how do you know if you've come across this supposed Grey Lady? Asked John. Uh, he is used to driving through the forest, or he's driven through... Forest Road thousands of times after nights at the club, and he'd never heard anything about the Grey Lady, but at this moment, he couldn't help but be absorbed. Well, Mitchell and I have obviously heard different accounts, but she is said to make to take many forms. Think of mermaids luring sailors to, into their deaths. She has a magical allure which entices men to her, but you'll know it's her because she's clearly wearing gray, and her teeth are yellow and rotting because once she has killed her victims, she feasts on them. Yummy. There was silence from Regan, or there was complete silence, and then Regan burst out laughing. And you really believe this, Alan. You really believe that down Forest Road, that that verdant bar area where I take my family for Sunday hikes, you really believe that there lurks an immortal cannibal vampire intent on seeking revenge on those of us that might have occasionally looked twice at our secretaries. I didn't say I believed it exactly, but Joseph Wickham went missing three weeks ago and his phone was found in a ditch on the side of the road on of that road and nothing else of his has been found, not even his car. Uh, ba -da, ba -da, ba -da. There we go. Um, John furrowed his furrowed his brow. Mm -hmm. That's right word. Yep, right word. He recommended Joseph Wickham, a greasy fellow, or he remembered Joseph Wickham, a greasy fellow who looked like a car salesman, who rarely came to the gatherings at the club. John had never spoken to him. Joseph Wickham's missing, John asked. 
Yes, he was there three. He was here three weeks ago, said Mitchell. He stayed Friday and Saturday night, and he went back late Sunday evening as he had an early morning meeting. He'd been drinking all day, so he didn't get to leave until after midnight. A few days later, I got a call from the police. His wife says he'd never made it home. <coughs> Excuse me. After an extensive search, all they found was his phone in a ditch and nothing else. Joseph Wickham's disappearance is not a mystery, Reagan d- declared. Mm. Topping up topping up his glass. In the process, he topped up John's as well. He knew he was drunk enough, but he did not protest. He's been shagging his PA for three years now, and he and he's a confessed gambling addict in a shed load of debt. Christ, is there anyone here that hasn't asked that he hasn't asked for money? It's pretty clear that he wanted to disappear before wife found out about the PA and before either of them discovered that he couldn't afford to buy them Tiffany bracelets anymore. Case closed. Wickham would never go disappearing, would never have disappeared voluntarily, um, Mitchell insisted. He was working on his gambling problem, going to meetings. He wasn't financially destute, not in the least. Destitute? Wasn't financially, I don't know what that means. Like, just in a bad financial state? Yes. Okay. Like I said, guys, clearly I haven't read all. So logically, your only assumption is that he was murdered by the Grey Lady of Westwick. Of Westwick. No, but I say that there's more to this than any of us realize. Wickham loved his wife. He adored his little boy. He wouldn't choose to disappear. Laugh all you want, Hitchcliffe, but there's something suspicious about his disappearance. A silence descended over the group. Nobody was really sure what to say. And so, in his usually frank manner, Reagan started a new topic of conversation about the new experimental restaurant opening in London where diners were blindfolded and subjected to an unknown taste test. The gray lady and the disappearance of Mitchell's friend were swiftly forgotten about as other men drifted into the circle to debate the merits of such a restaurant. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> that's, yeah, no, that's, that's very weird. weird. I don't know if I would like that at all. Like, no, I definitely need to know what I'm putting in my mouth. Right. Um, anyways, so John found himself contributing but couldn't help glancing at Mitchell every now and again. Uh, he said nothing, staring for longingly at the fire, maybe wondering why, in this camaraderie of brothers, nobody seemed to care about the whereabouts of his friend. Perhaps, by extension, nobody would care if half of the club went missing. It was a secretive place, and the men rarely admitted to their membership out in the public sphere. If they came across each other in the work setting, they would nod, perhaps even smile, but to acknowledge each other in a friendly way was unheard of. In a way, it made sense that nobody cared about Mitchell's pal. It happened outside these walls in another world entirely to that of the devil-may-care, cigar-smoking, booze-quaffing debauchery of the club. John decided not to be concerned with it any longer. What was the man to him, after all? Eventually, the evening began to draw to a close. One by one, the men yawned, rose from from the sleepy fireside, stretched their limbs, and disappeared into the shadow. Most were staying the night. John began to wish that he had secured a room. Usually he preferred to go home and sleep in his own bed. He was one of the lucky members who only lived a few miles away. But tonight he felt compelled by the fire, enticed by the dancing flames in the gate. It was warm here. A four-poster bed away from his wife seemed just the ticket. But the house was booked full, and he sighed. He would have to brave the roads. By midnight, the only men left in the drawing room were John Hinchcliffe, Mitchell and Noah Simmons, who seemed to have spent most of the night drifting in and out of consciousness. 
Reagan was holding court, but as the embers started to dim and the and even John's eyes began to flicker, Hinchcliffe seemed to sense that there was more fun to be had elsewhere, and so he made a move to leave. I'm heading up all, he said. He glanced at Noah Simmons, dozing. Should we wake him? Best not, said John. He hates to be stirred. I do hope you and I are past our quarrel, Hinchcliffe patted Mitchell on the, sho on the shoulder. Of course, Miss Mitchell replied. Hinchcliffe seemed to be assured that this was the case and went to and went off merely to bed. Merely. Wow. And but any other man would realize that he wasn't being sincere. I'm sorry about your friend, old chap. John offered his condolences to Mitchell. It was only polite after all, even if he wasn't. What? Oh. Being offered. sincere. I got you. Mitchell <laughs> <laughs> Lost myself. It's fine. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> We're good. Mitchell turned to him looking suddenly, looking suddenly rather desperate. You believe me, don't you? He said, staring at John with a fierce intensity John was only used to seeing in his wife. I know there's a part of you that believes me, but, or you didn't, you didn't deride me like the others did. I know you do. Mitchell, I know you're upset, but we can't do anything about your friend. I know you believe me, John. She's out there. She's out there waiting. Wickham's dead. Wickham's death was foul play. I know it was. He was my friend and nobody cares what happened to him. Wickham's been murdered. As he uttered murdered, almost shrieking at this point, Noah Simmons was jolted from his slumber. He coughed, blinked two sleepy eyes, wiped a spot of dribble from his chin. Mitchell was breathless, his face scarlet, and John had no idea what to say. Are we the only survivors? Simmons observed the empty room. I believe we are, John said levelly. Mitchell was staring at his hands. Well, good for us, Simmons said. <laughs> Anybody care for a game of cards? <laughs> These guys are all lunatics. <laughs> John left the two of them to it, wanting to get out of there as quickly as possible. I don't blame. Sorry, y'all. I forgot to tell you also, this is going to be long as shit. So, my apologies. Um, he'd always hated rash displays of, of sentiment. So, to show any sort of emotion was, in John's book, a terrible weakness. He understood Mitchell's concern, but for God's sake, the man had only been gone three weeks. From the sounds of it, he was a shady character, too. Whatever his friend wanted to think, there was... There was ample evidence to make the case of voluntary disappearance. John found his car in the ground, smoothing as smoothing. His, wow, John found his car in the ground, smoothing his suit as he slid into the cold leather, slicking slick slickly switches on slickly switches on the ignition, <laughs> and, and feeling it purr into existence. Maybe he should have refused. Reagan's replenishments of whiskey. He wasn't fit to drive, really, but it was very late, and tomorrow Sarah's parents were coming for brunch. God help him. So he needed to get back and spend a decent night in his own bed. As he set off down the drive in the cold night air, he wondered idly if he could entice his wife into making love with him when he got back. Somehow this was doubtful. Sarah barricaded herself at night, literally and mentally, often insisting their young son slept with them or putting up a wall of pillows as she as she <laughs> complained he rolled onto her and john was usually left either unsatisfied or forced to go down to the computer furiously huddled over pixels at 11 o'clock at night oh geez lord how is it 11 o'clock at uh, night if it was midnight an hour know. ago 
Well, I think this is just in general. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. After she discovered his affair a couple of years back, things went from bad to worse. Instead of addressing their biggest issue, why do you think I've gone after someone else, he bellowed at her in a row, I have to get it somewhere. She'd shut her. You know what, sir? I've got a lot to say I have a lot to say about that, too. But, okay. (laughs) She shut herself up even further, almost closing off that part of her life completely. I don't blame you, girl. Ugh. Anyway. Leave his ass. Seriously, like, you need to go and run. Um, This was why it was easier to hire companions. Sex was something which John felt that he could deal with efficiently and without any interference from his spouse. (laughs) Oh, my Jesus. (laughs) Wives, at this strange, at this stage in his life, where there are more in a nursing or maid-like capacity, desire had become entirely irrelevant. Good God, Jesus Christ! Um, he considered this revelation as he drove out of Westwick Village and was embraced by the thick foliage. It was late autumn, starting to grow cold, and the bones of the trees looked spindly and old as the ground claimed their flesh. The road, in comparison, seemed overstuffed. Armies of leaves marched along with the car, dancing like flappers in front of John's headlights. John loved the forest road at this time of night. It was deserted and he could think. Usually, he turned the radio off so he it, so it was just him in the dark of the lane, cruising around the twists and turns as he thought they were a racetrack. As he thought he were on a racetrack. That's when he saw her. The shock of it at first nearly made him skid off the road, but then he realized how foolish he was for letting his friend's fantasies take a hold of him. She was just a girl, shivering besides a a battered Mini Cooper on the side of the road. (laughs) That's what Sydney drives. She she seemed in the glow of John's lights to be little more more than 17 or 18. She was huddled in a large mustard coat. A scarf wound her so thick... A scarf wound her so thick that her chin dissolved into it. Her eyes were big ovals. John was reminded of the expression deep caught in the head of, wow, was reminded of the expression deer caught in the headlights, and her black hair was cropped short in a pixie cut. She looked fearful, and she was waving him down nonetheless. Excuse me, she waved at them an arm like a conductor. John was stuck again by how young was struck again by how young she looked. Could you please help me? He parked his car in front of hers and wound wound down his window. Are you okay, he asked. My car's broken down. Her eyes filled with tears and John climbed out of the car, feeling a little like a predator encroaching on its lunch. Ew. Why would you... Why would you what say that? What a disgusting slob. Sir, ew. I hate you, John. Sir, I hope she... Anyways... You poor thing, do you want me to have a look at it? It's completely dead. Her accent was soft with a local lilt. I don't know what that means. The words ooze from big bow lips. John felt a mad urge to reach out and touch them. You're disgusting. Have you... I'm sorry to cut you off, but the person that wrote this story has very colorful vocabulary. Oh, no, and I love it. Yes. I love your colorful vocabulary, for sure. Um... Have you rung anybody for help? He was hovering by his own car, not trusting himself to go any further. My phone's dead, too. Tears spilled from her eyes down her cheeks. Oh, look, don't be upset. Where do you need to go? Do you live around here? Yes, well, sort of. About 20 minutes away near Highbury? Well, that's a perfect coincidence. I myself live five minutes from Highbury. 
At this, she glowed, smiling for the first time. Oh, wow, really? Is there any chance... I know this is really cheeky. Is there any chance I could snag a lift? Of course. How about you leave your car here, and then you can come and pick it up in the morning? Do you live with anyone who might be able to give you a lift here tomorrow? She was hinting to see... He was hinting to see if she had a boyfriend. I live in a house share, so yeah, I'm sure one of my roommates could take me. So, no live-in boyfriend then, and a house share suggested that she was older than she looked. All good news. What a gross man. <laughs> well, I'm happy to take you, he said. Thank you very much. She stepped towards him. John stepped back instinctively. I'm Mona, by the way. Adam. King. Best to give a fake name. King implied power. Adam had a strong biblical... Connotations. Thank you. Welcome. John had done this before. Nice to meet you, Adam. As she slid into the passenger seat next to him, John caught the smell of sweet peas, her perfume. He wondered if she'd been ever been schooled on stranger danger. She didn't seem to be at all phased at the prospect of hitchhiking, of hitching a lift with a man that she'd never met on a dark country road. Still, John reasoned there was no need for her to be afraid of him. Was there? I don't know. Are you going to rape her? I don't fucking know, you nasty. <laughs> John, you're insane. Okay. They set down a track, and John switched on the radio. Classic FM. Take tinkling notes of a nocturne drifted into the dark of the car. So where are you from? He asked her. Lived around here all my life, she said. She was smiling at him. He could see her in the mirror. I've been out visiting at a friend at Westwick, and I stayed a little bit longer than I intended. Well, why is that? Who is her friend? You why were... is it your business? Ah, I don't like you. I hate uh, this. Oh, she's just a bit upset because she's been dumped. I told her that single life is by far better is by far the better option. She seemed to cheer up then. It was like she was spoon feeding him on the information he wanted. Do you find? Do you mind if I smoke? She asked. Of course not. He did mind. Rather, this was a brand new car. But he rolled down her window and she courteously lent it, lent out of it. Rings of smoke curling into the darkness. The trees bowed over them as they passed. John felt invincible from the cold air. The pretty girl. The glow of alcohol. He felt too invincible. You're so disgusting. Yes. Ugh. He'd moved his hand to her thigh. And she punched him in the nose. I would have. He hardly realized it himself until it happened. His hand was resting calmly on her leg. Yet she did not flinch. Another good sign. You know, said John, pushing himself further. We could always stop for a bit, if you wanted. There are some nice walks around here. That sounds lovely, she said. Stop John him in the woods. Anyway, I've j- I just hope... <laughs> uh, she has to have a motive here. John was astounded. He did not expect that. The last girl he'd proposed this, he... Propositioned? Thank you. Like this, a young sales assistant on the floor below his... Had threatened him with a restraining order. This was wonderful news. I would have done that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, dude, you clearly have a fucking problem. Okay. Do you know these roads well, Mona? He asked. His hand was still on her bony thigh, peeling into the flesh. She was wearing tights like a schoolgirl. This is all so gross. I really hate him. I am not liking it. I hope the gray lady finds this. I hope she is the fucking gray lady. If she's not, this is all very horrible. Yes. Okay. 
oh yes, I've been down these roads hundreds of times. Well, it will be nice to have a bit of a stroll in the night air. She nodded. It's a bit hot in here, Adam, she said. Do you mind if I take off my jacket? All right, Melinda. And she has a gray shirt on, right? I don't know. Well, we're going to find out. Yeah. But this is fucking Melinda. (laughs) Yes. Christ, it got better and better. The window was down. It certainly wasn't hot. Absolutely. He tried not to sound too delighted as she peeled off her scar and shimmied out of her heavy coat. Underneath the curve of perky breasts covered the wool of a dress that clung to her slim frame like cling film. I like your dress, John said. Thank you. We'll stop in a minute. He wanted to find the right place, somewhere dark and secluded, yet something was stopping him from pulling over the car. Something was niggling at him? He couldn't work out what it was. So, Adam, the girl said, winding up the window, are you married? Huh, do you think maybe that's what was stuck in your head from... Fucking retard. (laughs) (sighs) He couldn't very well lie. He'd been an an arse and and forgotten to remove his wedding ring. Oh, what an asshole. (laughs) How dare you forget to take off your wedding ring? Oh my god. (laughs) Anyways. Yes, he said, but it's an unhappy marriage. I'm afraid. We barely communicate. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm not that sorry. (laughs) My wife and I, we don't have the kind of relationship we used to. I hate them so much. (laughs) So when I met a pretty girl, I'm afraid I get a bit overexcited. She was smiling again. (laughs) Consequently... Yet, there was something off about her. John couldn't think of what. A minute ago, he had been looking for a scheduled spot to have his way with her. Now, now he felt uneasy. It was that stupid story Maximilian had told him. Absurd. An old hag who spends her time luring men into a trap? How ridiculous. Had he said the Grey Lady of of Westwick was an old hag? No. No, he didn't. He said they take many forms. For the record there, John, you need to listen. Suddenly, John felt queasy. He could feel the warmth of the girl next to him. Was she stroking his leg? He looked down. Yes, this sort of thing didn't happen. It didn't happen. This was all too easy. What was happening? He thought of Sarah waiting for him back home. He liked to pursue, he liked to pursue women. Of course he did. But half of the time, they weren't interested in pursuing him back. He always went for the younger ones, the pretty ones, the ones who wouldn't have him. Surely a man could be forgiven. Surely, surely nothing could be out there waiting for him, seeking vengeance, right? He glanced across at Mona. She was a tiny thing, just a slip of a girl. Pull yourself together, man. Stop being so ridiculous. When shall we stop? She asked brightly. She licked her lips. John was torn between the desire to touch her and the desire to get out of the woods and away from his thoughts. Er, you sure you want to stop? Her face fell a little. I thought you did. She had a striking, heart-shaped face. Desire won out. John pulled over the car, shaking off his silly imagings. He turned to her. His, her face was white in the glow of the moon. She was as flawless as a painting. You're very beautiful, you know, he said. Thank you. The compliment took her off guard. Instead of smiling with closed lips as she had been, she smiled properly, showing a row, row of pearly teeth. But no, her teeth were not pearly. Her teeth were yellow and crooked. Almost like the teeth of Jesus Christ. What? What is this? (laughs) (laughs) What? 
what's wrong? And suddenly, having been so blinded by her beauty, he realized the color of her dress. And it was gray. I knew it. And it was it, wool. And it was. There, in that shady spot under the trees, the nature, <laughs> the true nature of the woman opposite him, <laughs> opposite him drawn, dawned on John Watkins. You're her, aren't you? His voice quivered in terror. You're the late, you're the gray lady. You're the witch. I don't know what you mean, John. The awful teeth glinted John, at John, she said? Yeah. Because he said his name was Adam. Yeah! I didn't realize that! Ew! <laughs> the awful teeth glinted at him. He hadn't told her his name was John. Oh, yep. See? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting out of here. He turned to the handle of the car. But then she was on him faster than a cat, faster than a bullet out of a gun. You're going nowhere, she hissed in his ear. In her hand, John realized with horror was the glint of a kitchen knife. It was all too quick, quicker than a flame catching the light. He didn't even get the chance to scream. She came to meet her down a lonely track just as the clock in her car struck 3 a.m. Witching hour. Is it done? The girl was leaping up against a stile smoking. Yes. Do you want to see the body? No. The woman shivered. It was terribly cold now. Do you have the rest of the money? The girl asked. Business as usual. Her voice was thicker than the woman that had last met her. Who? She came to meet her down a lonely track just as a clock. I don't know. I don't know. Did we copy two different stories? Well, I'm just... I don't... No, maybe it's his wife. Oh, okay. Maybe it's Sarah. I don't know. We're going to have to see her. Okay. Do you have the rest of the money? The girl asked, business as usual. Her voice was thicker than when, than when the woman had last met her. Yes, yes, of course. The woman handed over the next ins- installment of the cash. She'd put it in a sack, her son's trick or treating bag, like a robber. She still couldn't believe any of this was real. Must be Sarah then. Cause yes, because they, they had a son. Right. Did did he did he suffer? She wanted to know, yet she didn't. Do you care? Of course. The girl sighed, hoping, hopping off the stile, far away in another place. A wolf howled at the moon. What was it he did again? I lose track. Affair was it? Yes, at first. Then it was prostitutes, lots of them. He had a whole other bank account. She felt tears prick hot like fire and force them away. He tried it. He tried it on with me. The woman's heart thudded. She wasn't surprised. He'd hired the girl with that in mind, of course, knowing from his search history that he liked the younger ones. But still, it ached to be told that in his final minutes, he was yet again betraying his marriage vows. Do you really care if he suffered? The girl repeated the question. The woman considered this. No, no, I suppose I don't. The girl pulled out another cigarette. The golden light was start was startling the dark lane. Smoking will kill you, you know. Oh, I know. It's wrecked my teeth. Dentist nightmare. She flashed the set of yellow tombstones at the woman. I'm getting denture soon. She blew smoke into the ale, into the air. It was very late. So, if that will be all, I'll get my team to deposit, to dispose of it. Of what? The body. Right. Yes, of course. Well, thank you. Good riddance to him, I say. He was a piece of shit. You don't shed a tear over him. Yes, queen. With that palpitude, the two parted ways 
like a dis like the disappearing of a coven the woman walked back to her car feeling feeling what exactly guilt no he had it coming he'd had it coming for a very long time she turned back the watch and watched the girl's gray the girl's gray form disappearing into the blackness already on her phone probably making plans for someone to collect john's body and do whatever they needed to do with it no sarah watkins realized that she as she walked back to her car on forest road i do not feel guilty i feel light and i love the ending of that story so she it wasn't even the gray lady it was his wife had her murdered right but it was it, it but it was a gray lady because she had the yellow teeth and a great, like, I'm sure and she... It was coincidental, I think, but I don't think it was... I just, so I love fun. it. I love, I love it all. That, that was... Well, people, maybe I'm going to have to look and see if more people have... Fun stories. About, yeah, like, have encountered this woman or not, but that was fun. And I'm really kind of glad you guys got to hear my reaction to all of that, too, because that was fun. That was fun. That was, was, fun. That was a good one. Yay. <laughs> Okay, so this week is, it's, uh, it's upsetting, but it's also, like, really interesting. Okay. I'm doing something called the Tibetan Sky Burials. Okay, so what I first think of is in Avatar when they have, like, the floating mountains. I don't know. I like that. But I no. think of, like, sky burials, like... You just bury, bury people someone in, in the, the cloud. Sky. Yeah. That sounds pleasant. This isn't pleasant. Okay. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the history of, like, where it comes from and kind of how it got started. Okay. And then I'm going to talk about the ritual itself. Okay. So, before Buddhism, there was a main religion in Tibet that was called Bon. Okay. Um, during these times, earth burials and tombs were the most common among the nobles. Okay. As Buddha, Buddhism became increasingly popular, other types of burials, sometimes referred to as excarnations, became more widely used. There's sky burials, water burials, fire burials, earth burials. and Excarnations? Some, yeah. So, like, you're being excarnated from your body and then you reincarnate into a new... Oh! Okay, okay, I got you. And then the last one is, it's called a funeral stupa, which I actually looked it up because I felt like it was important enough to mention. Um, a stupa is a monument or a sacred burial site that's used for the Dalai Lama, Panchen Lama, and living Buddhas. So it's like for the highest of the high Lama. Got you. And then it's it that's a separate ritual, and they use like dried herbs and medicines and stuff like that. Also, side note: Do we know why they're called llamas? I do not. I did not look it up. I was just curious because like Everybody I, I realized the Dalai that, Lama is right. Like I knew that there was like a Dalai Lama and stuff like that. But then when you said that there's I'm different levels of llamas, I'm like, wait, what? Well, I'm thinking it's more or less like a. Like in Christianity, there's like the Pope, and then it goes, you know, like right. bishops and stuff. No, like and that. I figured that's what they are. I'm just curious to why they're called llamas. I don't know. It's just their term. Because I like it. But it's not spelled like the animal for the record. I assume. <laughs> um, 
A sky burial is when a body is placed on a mountaintop to decompose due to the elements or to be eaten by the animals, most often vultures or carry-on birds. Oh! This is the favored method of burial with commoners because it's the least wasteful slash most generous. What? Generous? Yes. And the I'll, fuck does that mean? I discuss that a little bit when I get into the ritual part. Okay, because... All right. Um, in Tibet, a lot of the land is above the tree line, so that means it's really hard, really rocky. You can't really dig a grave in it. And then also, they don't have much wood because, again, it's above the tree line, so they can't do, like, cremations because they don't have any fuel uh, for it. Oh, okay. So it was kind of more or less just like, we don't know what else to do. Just don't go all the way up there. Well, I don't know what you want me to say, but that's what <laughs> I love. <laughs> Um, cremations were reserved for the high llamas and other officials, but because technology has increased, the sky burials have had some issues in the past. Commoners use cremations more frequently today. Okay. Uh, the communist governments in Mongolia and the People's Republic of China originally saw sky burials as primitive and unsanitary. Uh, you think? It's fucking gross. Uh, Both states were forced to close down several of their temples, and China actually banned the ritual from the late 60s into the 80s. Good. Because of this, many bodies were simply burned or tossed into the rivers. Many families believed that this caused the deceased to never be able to escape from purgatory, so they were left on Earth as ghosts. Okay, so like they weren't sent off in their proper manner? Right. They okay. didn't get to send them off, so now they're just trapped here. Oh, that's horrible. It's sad. But it's very sad. And yeah. Just, this ugh, whole thing is bad. Really... <laughs> um, in rural areas, even though it was banned, they were still performing them. They were, you know, they were far out there. Nobody was getting them. Right. In recent years, the rituals have actually become more known. Like, we know about them now. And there's been more protections placed, so they can practice these kinds of things. Oh, and like, okay, in like designated areas or something, probably. Right, right, right. But it's kind of a dying practice because the rural areas are more scarce because there's more population now. So there's more, like, cities, and you've got ordinances and laws and stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's China. Right. There's a shit ton of people there. Well, we're in Tibet, but Oh, well. Uh... In those, in the it's, Asian countries. Yeah, in Asia, there's a lot of people. And right. So, I mean, it's harder to do this kind of thing. Now. Because there's not really any. Rural area anymore. There's not any place to do it. Right. Right. Also, it ends up being more expensive than a traditional burial, which I'll explain to you again in a little bit. Which is interesting because I feel like funerals and shit in general are disgustingly expensive. For right. no fucking reason. Right. Well, yeah, they can monopolize the industry because, you know, you have to pay for these things. Yeah, we don't really so have they can an charge option. charge whatever the hell they want. Which I just think is, anyways. Which is several different, anyway, that's a different talk. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so now we're going to get into the ritual a little bit. Um, in Tibetan Buddhism, sky burials are viewed as a teaching experience, and they're referred to as jator. Okay. And it's pronounced differently with different dialects. That sounded French to me. 
It's J H A T O R. No, it just sounds very French to me. That's what I'm saying. It did sound a little French, but like I said, the different dialects are different, and I am not Asian, and I'm not French either, so I don't know why it's French, but that's what happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're more European than Asian, and that makes you feel any better. I, I'm closer to French than Asian. Exactly. So, so yeah, makes sense, I guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a teaching experience because it teaches you about death, and it teaches you that like all life does come to an end, but your body is separate from your soul. Like it's right. They use this to like. To teach. Right. Right. They also teach about generosity and compassion because they believe that once a person has died, their soul has left its body already. And by giving up their body to feed these animals and the birds and stuff like that to help sustain those living creatures' lives, they're committing the most generous, compassionate act possible because you're basically, you are... You're giving to other parts of nature. You're sacrificing your You're... body for the well-being of another creature. Okay, so does that also count in, like, if I want to donate my heart to somebody that needs a new heart and my heart is fine, does that count as generosity? Yes. Or do I have to let an animal eat me? No. Yeah, I mean, it's still being used to suffice, sustain another living so, being. So, like, so, the best thing I could do is, like, donate all my organs and all the other shit that they don't need, you just feed to the animal. Essentially. That's not what they do, but yes. But I feel like that would be, like, the most generous thing to do. Yeah, to allow another person to survive. Right, so I'm allowing other people to live with my organs, plus I'm giving food to the animals. Right. Okay. I can get down for that, I guess. So, Jator is traditionally performed in specific locations unless a person's too poor, in which case they just find a place and leave the body. (laughs) Um, this is why it's expensive. A yak is supposed to carry the body up to the site because it's like up on the side of a mountain. Right. And I mean, good luck carrying a dead body. But the reason that it's expensive is because they believe that the only way to make this the most generous, compassionate ritual is to allow that yak to be freed after it's taken the body up the hill. Oh, so you have to buy this yak. It's not like you can rent a yak for a day. You have to buy this yak and then let it go. And then granted, these are America. I looked this up for what what a yak costs in America. I don't know about China, but here in America, if you want to buy a yak, you're going to spend seven to $20,000. Jesus freaking Christ. That is why it's the most expensive. What the actual <laughs> fuck? It's a yak. The cows are very expensive too, though. Especially the bulls. They're very expensive. I'm not going to spend 20 grand on a fucking yak. No. I didn't even spend that on my car. Yeah. No. just let it go. (laughs) Oh, my fucking God. Okay. So, as I said, it's done on a large, flat rock. They refer to this as carnal ground. Okay. Um, The carnal ground is always higher than the surrounding land. Sometimes it's literally just the rock... You know, so like a few inches off of the ground. Okay. Sometimes they make it like a whole elaborate thing. Tomb, like, okay, so now I just picture like when, um, the fucking lion on Narnia, Aslan, mm-hmm. when he's on like the tomb thingy when it cracks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's what I picture. I don't know if it's like that, but. <laughs> well, I just <laughs> picture a, a lifted open right. rock. Something similar to that, I'm sure. Yes. 
Sometimes it's elaborate, sometimes not. That's right. basically what we're saying. Fair. Um, it typically takes place at dawn. I'm assuming because the birds are up. Well, and it's dirty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, monks may chant like mantras or burn incense before the ritual begins. I thought they didn't talk. Monks? Are not all monks silent? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly I know a lot about Asian culture, you guys. <laughs> but anyway, most of the time they do that the day before, though. There's like a ceremony <coughs> kind of thing that they do the day before. So most of the time that happens the day before. Sometimes they do it right before. Oh, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to say this word wrong. I absolutely know I am. <laughs> Good luck. Rogiopas? Rogiopas, yeah. I feel like that's the best way to say that. Yeah. So that means body breaker. Oh. Oh, I don't want, oh, I don't, no, no, I don't like it already. I don't like it already. This is where it gets really upsetting, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> So, okay, it's either the body breaker or sometimes it's a monk, but usually it's a body breaker that does this next bit. If this is actually your job, you're a fucked up human, I already know. Uh, well, this is when their job comes into play and they have to disassemble the body. <laughs> now, most of the time, this is not done in a ceremonial way at all, but they have to do it as though they're doing any other kind of work. So they're just... They'll sit there and, like, talk to the people around them or, like, joke around or whatever. And the reason they do it that way is because, according to their beliefs, it's easier for a spirit to move on if you're not, like, dwelling on that spirit. Okay. I mean, I can, I get that. But also, it seems kind of How could you not be thinking about what what you're doing? Right. How can you just be like, oh, yeah, I'm not cutting up a body. Everything is fine. Yeah. So, most often, the body is given to the animals as a whole, but they, like, put, like, big cuts. So, like... Oh, they can, like, get into the smell, flesh. You know oh, Like, the blood draws them in like sharks. Yeah. Ugh. Exactly. Okay. And, like, the rotty smell. Oh, my... God. So, sometimes they'll cut open, like, your limbs and stuff. Um, But... After, okay, so when, when your body becomes just bone, after they've, like, basically pick away all your flesh, they then take the bones and use a mallet and crush it up, and they make it, mix it with something called sampa, which is barley flour, tea, and yak's butter or milk, and they mix it all together, and then they feed it to any other animals or birds. That oh my god, I thought them. you were gonna say that they fucking ate it. I'm happy you gave it to an animal. No, no, no. Oh. But basically, they want the entire body to be... So literally, when... In Jack and the Beanstalk, when he says, I'm gonna grind your bones to make my fucking bread, that's what they're doing. Sort of. But for another bird. That... Oh, my God. Um, sometimes they process the body separately. So sometimes they will cut off the limbs and the head and stuff like that to make it a little easier to have multiple birds on it, you know what I'm saying? Or uh, sometimes they separate it even farther than that, and they'll take the organs and process the organs differently than they will the parts of the body. <laughs> and then they take the hair and they just either throw it away or they keep it in a room in the monastery. Oh, why? 
have no fucking clue. Ew, so there's just a room of fucking hair somewhere? It's literally nauseating. Oh my god! I'm not trying to be disrespectful of anyone's beliefs, but it's literally but- nauseating. Ugh. Why oh. would you have a room full of hair? Um. I don't like this. Yeah. Well, and then, okay, so this last little bit, my story's a little short this week, but... This last bit is what happens if a vulture chooses not to eat the body. They take this as a really bad omen, and they've assumed that the person has lived, like, a really bad life, and they've built up a ton of bad karma. So now they're destined to be reborn to a shitty life. Oh. So, like, when you get reincarnated, you're just going to live another shitty life because you were a shit person, obviously. Well, that's great. Because the animals don't even want your ass. Wow. Okay. So, I'm just going to show you a couple pictures. This is what it looks like when they mix with the flour. What the fuck? And that. Oh! Yeah. It's. <laughs> oh! Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. And I don't worry. I'll post the pictures and I'll put like a trigger warning or something what on it but the actual fuck was that <laughs> oh and the oh they literally picked off everything oh it was just a bloody skeleton oh i'm not okay <laughs> i don't like what happens after oh! that though <laughs> i'm not okay <laughs> So when I was telling you about earlier, I went downstairs and I asked my husband what he would do if his job title was body breaker. <laughs> and he said, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Well, to me, just, that's worse than being a coroner because you have to like you have completely to grind the body. up someone's body. Oh! Yeah, like, you're not just you know, check in to see what killed them. You're literally just grinding up their whole body. Oh, my God. Ew. What the fuck? Why? Okay. Robert is the reason why we keep finding all of these fucking horrific stories. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that requested this. You have a fucked up brain, my friend. I love you, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good story, though. I mean, it's very fascinating, but it is very disturbing. So can we just find a body breaker to... Take care of John and the rest of his country club fucks? Yes, that's... No, because then the birds won't eat him anyways, because he's clearly a horrible human, so... Valid. But still, can we just, like, have the body breakers, like, break him before he's dead? Too late for that, I guess, but... I mean, valid. (laughs) Lady Grey already got to him. Jesus fucking Christ. I don't really know how to end that. I don't... Well, I don't know. Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> well i guess that's uh if that doesn't make you want to have good karma i don't know i'm really sorry if anybody was eating by the way <laughs> yeah that was um wow all right well thanks for tuning in you guys I, again i really don't know how to end that one yeah well social media i guess <laughs> Woo! uh facebook instagram and twitter don't leave the house don't leave the house podcast at gmail.com uh, go support us on Patreon. We love you. We need you more than you know. Oh, yes, because um, really all you guys are doing is helping us get equipment to make us sound better for you. Yes. So, <laughs> so we need you. 
And there's a lot of fun stuff on there, too. So it's beneficial yeah. for you guys, too. And we are going to get more proactive and start doing things. Probably, like, we'll try to do it once a week, once every other week on yeah. Patreon. Yeah, we'll do more stuff for sure. Um, but thank you guys for listening to um, both of those. Um, yeah. Your story was more fun than mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't even know. Oh, well, well, we love you guys. Stay safe out there. And don't forget, don't, don't leave, leave the, the house. house. Don't leave that out, dude.